you're listening to episode 42 of the STEM Space. Natasha and I are talking about science lessons and how you can get your kids to really think when it comes to learning about science. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. How are you doing? I am good, but I have been waiting, not so patiently, to find (laughs) out What you did, since we talked about it in the last podcast, you went to a class and you had very specific instructions given to you. And I want to know what happened. So can you give a little bit of a recap? So uh, apologies to the listeners on this little break that we took. We just got slammed with a few projects, but we're back. And as a refresher, I was given instructions for my, this is a graduate level course on scientific inquiry and I was told to bring a sandwich and a drink and a bag of chips and a one pound bag of plain M&Ms and so we ended the podcast with what does this mean and you had said you are obviously going to be the experiment (laughs) yes I mean and I was worried that I might not ever get to talk to you again right they were going to starve you or or I don't don't even know what okay what happened well First, I was very hung up on this sandwich thing. I'm like, do I like have to bring a sandwich? Like what kind of sandwich? He gave like no instructions. I took this really seriously. And I decided as I, I'm really busy, I just outsource everything. So I stopped and picked up a sandwich on the way from a place called Jimmy John's. Resourceful. <laughs> yeah. And then as I was driving, my husband said, oh, I wonder if he's going to destroy your sandwich. And it's like part of the experiment. And I was like, no, I want to eat my sandwich. I'm so excited about this. But no, he did not. So let me set this up. So we walk into the room and he's like, okay, now this this ended up being two activities that my professor would do in a high school science classroom. Instead of sandwiches, the kids would have pizza and they would walk in and there would be these open boxes of pizza open so you could smell it. And he would tell the students, you are not supposed to eat breakfast. So when you come into my class, you are hungry. So a lot of these kids hadn't eaten since the night before and they were starving. And so the kids would sit down and just to torture them, he would walk around with this open box of pizza and he would wave it under them. And then he would walk around to the next table, right? And he's like, what are you feeling? And so the kids would say, oh my gosh, I, my stomach's grumbling. Oh, the saliva in my mouth. <laughs> and so he would ask them a series of questions to just think about what's going on in your body and start kind of talking. So the, if you can see the theme here is going to be about digestion and about how we eat, basically. So we all were the experiment. And so then he's mm-hmm. like, okay, I want you to take a bite of food. And then we, he asked a series of questions of, well, what part of your mouth are you using? How are the teeth in the front of your mouth different than the teeth in the back of your mouth, right? So the front are like kind of able to take that initial bite and the back are more like grinding. And so it was kind of fun. And so we had to like calculate how many times we were chewing in the beginning versus like how many times you're chewing at the end. So when you're really hungry, you might like take like bites and just like shove it in your mouth and swallow it as soon as possible. Mm. (laughs) And then like later when you're like, oh, I'm not so hungry. And so we were like the subject in this experiment. And then the grossest part of this lesson is he's like, I need a volunteer to take a bite of food, chew it, and then 
right before you swallow it, I want you to spit it out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. And in he's front like, of everybody. In front of everybody. And like <laughs> most people were grossed out. But one kid would volunteer to do this and they would spit it out and it was in a ball. And he was like, why is it in a ball? And how did it look be- at it? Yeah. So he had a look at, he walked around with his like, oh, no. <laughs> now that reaction, it's emotional response. And this is a lesson the kids are going to remember when they're 50 years old. They're going to be like, remember that time my teacher made me spit up my food? And he's like, and the kids will go home after class and have the parents like think about what they're doing when they eat. And one point he makes here is how many times in your life do you eat? And you don't ever think about the the functions of the different parts of your body or even like understand what's going on. And that's science. Like you're living in this natural world, but that doesn't mean you understand it. And it takes a great teacher. It takes learning for you to really understand and observe and make these connections. And that's where like science learning is so exciting because you're doing it every day. But now you're actually like, wait, I never even thought about that. Why is it a ball? Like, how so it's like the roof of your mouth right it's curved and so mm. it's creating a food in a ball to help it go down and if you've ever like had a bag of chips that you just like ate too quickly and you feel it like scratchy like mm-hmm. going down your throat like no you're not <laughs> that's not supposed to happen that's why you know you're supposed to use your teeth to grind it so it's like form and function so he's kind of making all these biology connections in a way that the kids will remember so that was my takeaway for that is asking really great questions so the kids are coming up with the answers they're really leading this discussion and they're at the end oh they think they made the connections like wow i never even thought about that <laughs> When it was really the teacher, he's guiding you to where he wants you to go, but the kids think they discovered it. Mm-hmm. And then again, emotional response, like, oh my gosh, I had pizza in class. How exciting was that? <laughs> so what do you think of that lesson? I think that's fantastic. I mean, what a great way to break something down. I mean, it's all about this curiosity and igniting the sense of wonder about what's going on in the world around you, right? And that's how we make scientific discoveries, just by getting kids and eventually adults asking questions about, well, how does that work? Or why does that work that way? So yeah, that's brilliant to do something that everybody can relate to, obviously, because we have to eat to survive. So I think that's fascinating. And I'm so grateful that he didn't destroy your sandwich and you got to eat it. Yeah. So I got to eat my sandwich. He brought (laughs) cookies and he had some other treats for us. So it was a fun experience. And it's exactly what you said. It's grounded in what the students know and they experience every day. And it's building off of their prior knowledge. And it's every class will look different. Like if you were to do this tomorrow with your seven classes, right? Eight. Eight. Oh my gosh. Each class would be totally different, but you would be kind of driving them to the same conclusions. And how they get there is really messy. And that's what I'm learning in this class is you come up with a what he calls a logic flow. So there's some kind of path that you're going to take the kids down, but there's probably going to be a million tangents, especially with your little kindergartners, first graders, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they get distracted and it's your job to kind of bring them back. But you can't, this is why PowerPoint slides don't really work because PowerPoint slides are your logic flow. Like this is, you're getting them from point A to B, but the kids might need to go all around and to (laughs) D and Z. (laughs) And the PowerPoint slides don't let you do that. Not that you can't have visuals, um, but sometimes as educators, we're so like, we have a plan. It is written down. It will go this way. And that's not real learning. It's messy and exciting. Yes. And I feel like 
that's the hardest part about being an educator, especially in STEM, is because we have this more like an outline is what I try to have. Of, yeah. These are the objectives I want to hit. But then like we just built the drag device with one of my classes and I had some really great solutions that the kids came up with. But the next day I realized that most of them were struggling because they all had a mental picture of a parachute and what that looks like. So they built a parachute that's attached to a cup. It holds a ping pong ball. And the objective was you have to be able to drop it off of this playground equipment that we have. And the ball needs to remain in the cup, but you can't like put a lid on the cup or anything. So it needs to slow down enough for the ball to stay in the cup. Well, they had this just mental picture of a parachute, but I couldn't really... I didn't want to tell them, hey, think about like a platform, like you want to stability because they hadn't experienced what it would be like without it yet. So you need to lead them down this track of experience before you can then give them the visual and the science explanation. Yeah. So then we drew a free body diagram. Say, okay, what forces are working on your parachute that you have right now? Do you see how those vectors of drag and gravity are not lining up? And that's why it keeps falling over because there's an imbalance. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. But if I'd started with that, they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's right. What... So, yeah, yep. I think that is a great way to break things down. Mm -hmm. And so that leads me into the second activity, because did you notice there's an item I haven't used yet? The M&Ms, because I'm all yep. about the chocolate. <laughs> so, yes, tell me more. Okay, so this is actually a pretty popular activity. I have never done it, but it's pretty fun. So we first sat down and we had to sort our M&Ms into colors. So we had, Claire, what are the colors in a bag of M&Ms? You're the uh, expert. Brown, which tastes the best, right? Because there's differences. I'm, I'm certain no of idea. it. <laughs> Green, red, yellow, blue. Is that that sounds right to me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we sorted into all these different colors and then we made sure that we had the same number of each color. So we wanted, you know, a hundred brown, a hundred blue, a hundred orange or a hundred whatever the colors are. Maybe I'm thinking Skittles, but you could do with Skittles actually. Uh, I think there is an orange, but I usually just you don't, don't think like about the orange. The orange. Really? Well, oh, you know. haha. Got it. <laughs> We're Aggies. <laughs> it's going to be lost on most of our <laughs> listeners. So that was the first step. And he added a little bit of mathematics here in what's the most efficient way to count 100 M&Ms. Well, you can put them in groups of 10 so you don't lose track, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing this with younger students. And then he had the whole class participate in groups. So we wanted to get to, I think it was 2,000 total M&Ms. And so we were each in charge of a color. And so anyway, this was a whole day. So this activity, actually, he does it over, I think it's a series of four days. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is a week. So then we count the M&Ms and then the fun part. He's like, okay, now you have a cup of M&Ms that all be mixed in. So each person now has the same number of mixed colors. We go outside, we stand in a line and our teacher, our professor stood about, let's say 25, 30 feet away in the grass. And we were told on the count of three to throw our M&Ms <gasps> as far as we could he was wearing safety glasses, take out all of our anger, resentment, whatever we're feeling against our professor, all that homework, and take it out on him. And what? he said we were the first class that was hesitant. Most people willingly start throwing, but we were like, really? Okay. <laughs> and so we started chunking these M&Ms at him and having a great time. And so as soon as all the M&Ms were gone, he's like, okay, you are now Redditors. 
your prey are the M&Ms. You have one minute to gather as many as you can. So then we took off running and we went through the grass and we started collecting and it was a race to see who could get the most M&Ms. And it's really funny because we're in the middle of this university campus. And if you could just picture this, (laughs) students walking with their backpacks, going to the library, and here's a bunch of crazy grad students picking up M&Ms from the grass. (laughs) And so then he's like, okay, time. Now, what he didn't anticipate that we're in Texas and it's really hot. And so our hands are now gross and covered in chocolate. But that was kind of fun. (laughs) So now this is the end of day one. So then we all went off and we had class again the next week. So in a science classroom in high school, you would probably do this the next day. So you come back inside and you count what you found. And he walks students through, how do you make a table now? We had all those colors. We started with 100, let's say, in each group. What do we have left? Okay, we have 30 brown M&Ms. We have 20 yellow M&Ms. We have 10 green M&Ms or so on. And he never tells you how to make a table. It's on the students as a class to decide the best way to represent the data. And that's the theme. He really does not like cookie cutter labs basically something that tells you, do this, now put it in the table, now do this, okay? Everything is about decision-making. The students are responsible for making these decisions, whether individually or as a whole class, through scaffolding by the teacher, right? So giving them the appropriate support to get there. Now, what do you think the results were? After we gathered these M&Ms, do you think there were differences in the amount that we found of based on color? Oh, yeah. I think for sure, because it has a lot to do with your environment, I would assume. And you triggered this when you were talking about you are the predator and these are the prey. Then I'm thinking about, oh, well, these M&Ms, they're pretty smart and they know how to camouflage. So you've got grass, depending on what what color it is. It is Texas. So who knows that the orange and yellow might have it up on the green, but I'm not sure what color your grass was. Brown would be hard if there was a lot of dirt. So I could definitely see how environment matters and affects your data. So most students will not get to that point right away. And that is exactly where we're taking them. And so they're quickly going to realize the brown ones were not very commonly Mm. found and the green was less common. But then you would saw all of the, the yellow, the ones that are bright colors. And through questioning, you would ask them, well, why? Why do you think this one was more common? And he's trying to get you to the point of these are the ones we collected are still alive. Are, are sorry, these are the ones that are dead because you got them. You ate mm-hmm. them. The ones that are still out there are still alive. What are their colors? And like you pointed out, the brown ones and the green ones. And that's because they can camouflage. You're not introducing any vocabulary yet. You're letting the kids use whatever words they want. So they might say they blend in and maybe they'll use the word environment or they'll say blend in with the dirt, blend in with the grass. And so you're getting them to just understand the concept before you attach words to it. Oh, I love that. Isn't that cool? And so at this point, once you've, everybody's on board, they're understanding it. This is the time you put in that vocab. So you can introduce the words like environment and camouflage. Okay, how can we better explain this? Because they are now asking for a way to say, okay, I understand, but how do I say it? Mm -hmm. And that's when they're ready for the vocabulary. The last part is transferring or applying that knowledge to a new situation. That's when you know they've actually gotten it. We're Mm -hmm. talking about M&Ms. This isn't a realistic scenario, right? It's just fun and we're, we're the predators. But what about if we show them pictures of, say, mice and there's darker colored mice and white mice against these light colored rocks? Which one are more likely to get eaten by a predator? And so based on this activity we just did, 
what do you think happens to these mice? And so the students would have a discussion about it. They maybe do it in partners or in groups. And then he asked them to individually write about how does the role, what is the role of camouflage for organisms to survive? Now, what's interesting is I was like, oh, I love this. Okay, you end there. But he said, you can't end there because then the kids are going to walk away thinking all animals must use camouflage to survive. Ah. And this, if we're like talking second, third graders, I can see that, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're like, well, why doesn't that have camouflage? So he wants you to take it to the next place. And he shows pictures of, say, flowers or peacocks and talking about how their vibrant colors actually have a role for survival. It's not about blending in. It's actually standing out and it's to help them find a mate. So here's like another way that we can use how we look to survive. And so he kind of keeps this going. So he keeps giving them scenarios and pictures and they're discussing him as a class with all of this to go into how can we use evidence to have an explanation for what we're seeing? But then the science concept here, the characteristics among species have advantages in how they can survive or reproduce. So that was my M&M activity. Oh, that is so great. That is so many good points that we can reiterate with design challenges of getting students to look at the data and interpret it and figure out how do you solve this problem based on what you're looking at? Because first you have to figure out what is the issue that you're looking at, right? Right. And this actually kind of relates to something I was just thinking about as you were talking about it is not just animals, but giving them things that are not even related. Like this is nothing to do with living beings and how these creatures have different whatever aspects of survival. But there was a story about, and I don't remember all the details, so I'm going to butcher this, but basically during a big war, there was a airplane manufacturing company that all these airplanes were coming back from war and they were riddled with bullet holes, like bullet holes all over it. And so these engineers would get back these airplanes and like, oh my goodness, we need to reinforce where all these bullets hit this airplane so we can protect the pilots and everything. But there was one engineer that was like, wait a minute, like step back and look at that data. We're getting these airplanes back. So we shouldn't be reinforcing where the bullet holes are. We should be reinforcing where they're not because that's the airplanes that are not coming back. You need to know how to interpret what you're looking at, right? Right. And, and if you were to do uh, some of the labs that I remember doing growing up, right? Pour this chemical into this bottle and then pour this one. What do you see? Record hmm. in the data. Okay. What observations? What conclusions? But it's taking you every single step and you never have to think. And that way students never engage in any of it. And they walk away thinking they just poured a bunch of chemicals together. Okay, that was fun, right? Right. You've got to force your kids to really think about every decision they make. Now, caveat, this takes time. You cannot do this type of inquiry lab every single week throughout the entire year and, you know, be able to teach all the content you have to teach, unfortunately. We as educators and those especially in the, the formal classroom have so many standards that they have to meet and it's unfair mm -hmm. to the teacher and the student. And we actually, I was in another class looking at, we have like triple the amount of content than other countries in our science classroom. Oh, wow. But they're performing better in standardized testing, which is interesting. And that's because we go down the route of 
you just got to memorize it and pass the test because we're struggling to get through it. Whereas other countries can just slow down, take their time and really understand it. And so we have to find that balance in the classroom where Mm -hmm. which of these activities are important for you to get some valuable skills, not only to understand the concept, but to think, to be creative, to communicate, do a design challenge maybe at the end. It's tough. And so the best we can do is just keep trying (laughs) and learning from what works and what doesn't, like talking to other educators and working together. But I just feel like this is such an exciting way to do science. And I would have loved to have these type of activities as a kid. For sure. And, you know, I'm doing my graduate studies in creative problem solving. And so this is something that I've been thinking about a lot as I'm learning more about creativity and how this applies to education, especially when you're doing engineering design challenges. We're talking about these cookie cutter labs, right? And how that is kind of destroying our thought process and allowing students to be able to really deeply understand concepts. And we talk about this a lot with engineering design challenges where we say, don't give them an example. Like if you show a picture talking about, like my example I talked about earlier, drag, if you show them a picture of a parachute, they're all going to make their drag device a parachute. But there are ways that you can help enhance their creativity by giving more structure. So I actually want to try this with you, Natasha. I'm going okay. to try an experiment with you. I want you to name me a list of things that are white. And I'm not talking about things that you can make white, like just say a white t-shirt. Things that are innately white. Can you- like clouds. Clouds, okay. Or a swan. Swan, okay. The crest of a wave. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Stars. Okay. Stars. Is that good? Okay, you've got four. Stop How many there. do I need? However many you can come up with right now. Um, it's so hard <laughs> that it's not painted. So it has to be natural. Um, I'm thinking like something foggy. <laughs> like whenever you pour foggy liquids, but what makes them foggy? <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Oh, right, wait, so wait, wait. Now- the powder what? on a donut. Oh, donut powder. <laughs> okay. Sugar, oh. flour, okay. milk. Okay. So I get a look at my fridge. What's interesting now is you are kind of getting ahead of where I was about to lead you. So right now you have seven different items. Now I want you to list as many things that you can think of that are white that are edible. You can repeat things. Oh, okay. White so that's edible. Milk and sugar and flour. Butter is more yellow. Cream cheese, sour cream, yogurt. Mm. Mm cheese yeah i think you're thinking of feta yeah exactly (laughs) not american cheese um that's all i got so you got exactly seven now what's interesting is a lot of those answers were things that you did not say before when i just said name something that's white but when i narrowed down the instructions and said give me something that's edible that's white you came up with the same amount of solutions is that surprising i restricted you and you I came still up had... with more things. Yeah, it, it like triggered a whole list of things mm-hmm. that I hadn't considered because it was the possibilities were so wide that my brain was trying to figure out everything in the universe that could be white. <laughs> yes, because you're trying to build upon knowledge. We've talked about you need that firm foundation of knowledge or experiences before you give the vocab words in education. Well, in engineering design challenges, I think we often are like, oh, I don't want to restrict their creativity. So I'm not going to put any other rules on it. 
well, you're actually not helping if you don't have some good solid constraints on your design. And so this really opened up my eyes and the way I was approaching some of my design challenges where I was really hindering their creativity by making it too too open-ended. So I think that's a good lesson also to your kids. We've talked about in a previous episode of having them define the problem or them being able to brainstorm more on their own without your interference. So if we go through these kind of exercises with them, which I'm going to do that with my students more so they can see how important it is that they really ask good questions as they're defining the problem and really consider those constraints and use them to their advantage of how it really opens the door, not restricts what you're doing. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much for sharing your experience. I feel better now that I know that you weren't tortured. (laughs) I was not tortured. I get to throw M&Ms at my professor (laughs) and he actually made us get a pound because then we could eat them, whatever was left. Because there were so many M&Ms. So I still have like bunch left from that class I just had in my backpack as I snack on, which Claire's like, I would have eaten those in the hour after class. For real? Hasn't it been like over a week? I don't understand. (laughs) Well, I had forgotten about them, which is the best, because then you open up your bag and you're like, (laughs) M&M. That's brilliant. If only I could hide chocolate from myself, that would be great. (laughs) Well, I wanted to give a little sneak peek for our next episode. We got a question, actually several people asked, we want more help in designing a year-long STEM curriculum. So we have a scope and sequence posted on our website, but the requests we're getting are more specific. Like, how do I construct a curriculum for kindergarten, first grade, fifth grade, eighth grade? And so we want to answer that in an upcoming podcast. Yes. So stay tuned. If you have specific questions, let us know. Email us, contact us on social media, because we will be addressing this big one next time. (laughs) Do 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 do